When we sing, we're operating in faith. We're acknowledging what's real and what's true, even when we can't see it or may not even feel it. We're acknowledging the Lord is for you. The Lord is with you. And may his face shine on you. Right now, would you close your eyes, even right at home, turn your gaze toward heaven in faith. Look for the eyes, the face of your Abba Father looking at you. He's for you. He's in your corner. He's with you. You're not alone. Lord, may your face shine on your children. Turn your face toward us. Allow us to see your face and sense your presence and tangibly experience your nearness, your love, your affection, your cleansing power, your holiness. May we hear your voice. May we sense your heart. May we align our steps with yours. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And together we say, all God's people, we say, Amen. God bless you. So glad that you're here. Glad to have a guest with us this morning. Brother Bob Wakeman is here visiting in person. Glad to see you, brother. And I'm excited this morning to talk to you about prayer. We're in 40 Days of Prayer. I hope you've downloaded the 40 Days of Prayer calendar. It's a double-sided thing that takes you uh, from Monday to Saturday, uh, Monday through Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday as well every week. And today, on Sundays, we pray for our church uh, as a whole, the family of God, the body of Christ. And even though we can't yet meet in person, but we hope that begins to change. Our numbers are looking better this uh, past week. We hope they get better the next week and the next week even following. But we ask God to fill our service with his presence today and every place we gather to participate. That includes your very own home right where you are. We're going to look at another story of exile. It's remarkable as you look at God's word and you kind of ask the question, how does this help me? How does this address me in the circumstances I find myself in? The more I think about it, the more places in scripture it occurs to me that God is with us even when we feel far from home. We think of Adam and Eve banished from Eden or Cain whose cry is to not lose that family connection, and especially to be losing the closeness of the experience of God. We think of Abraham told to leave his home, or Joseph particularly, who's exiled to another country into disfavor, into prison, but it says that the Lord was with Joseph. Think of Moses exiled from Egypt and Pharaoh's palace to the backside of the desert who felt so isolated, so alone, looked around him, all he saw was barren waste, dry bushes, and then he sees that one bush that's on fire with the presence of God. And he hears a voice that says, take off your shoes for the ground on which you're standing 
It's holy ground. Well, the ground on which you're standing right now, wherever you are, it's holy ground because the living God is here with you. He is in your presence and you are with him. Think of Israel going into Egypt and Israel during the Exodus coming out and at 40 days in the wilderness where God was with them and provided for them what they needed. Think of the time in exile that we're going to examine a little bit more today. The time of Jeremiah, his exile to Babylon, about 600 B.C., 600 years before the coming of Christ. Or we think of the books of uh, Ezekiel, and today we're going to look at Daniel, which begins in 605 B.C. as we study the, uh, the events taking place there, and it spans then over uh, many more years to come. When we think of Jesus, we think of Joseph and Mary, who are exiled to Egypt from their home with their baby. And we think of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. When we're in exile, we turn our hearts, we turn our, our face, we, we turn our minds to see who else in Scripture has gone through times of isolation, of wondering whether they're abandoned, of wondering whether God has left them all alone. And our hearts are buoyed up. These things are given to us, Paul says, in the New Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures given to us for our encouragement. I pray that God would encourage your hearts as he has mine through the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read to, uh, for you uh, Daniel 1. You can uh, turn with me. We don't have uh, all of this text on the screen, but uh, the last section of it we will, and then three principles we draw to encourage us when we feel far from home. Daniel 1, verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. The temple of God was the very presence of God with his people. And Nebuchadnezzar, in victory, carried off these articles from the temple of God to the temple of his God. Small g. His God in Babylonia, modern-day Iraq. He put it in the treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. You see what's happened here? They've been removed from their home, removed from all that they're familiar with, and not only that, they have to go to serve a king who worships another god. And this chief of the court officials is to teach these young men the language and the literature, we could say the culture, of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. After that, they were to enter the king's 
service. How do you respond when you're called to to work for someone who may not be going in the same direction as, as you are, as you're comfortable with, as you're familiar with? In the culture that we live in, it's uh, all too easy to kind of sense that we need to kind of just go along to get along. And that when the culture around us kind of presses us in a certain direction, we need to follow in an unthinking way. The young men who were selected, who were chosen, are very young. We believe that Daniel is probably about 14 years of age when chapter 1 of Daniel takes place. We read in verse 6 that among those who were chosen were some from Judah, named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the king official gave them new names, new identity. An identity, uh, a name is supposed to reflect your character, kind of set a trajectory for your life. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. Now you're saying, ah, I think I recognize some of this story. To Mishael, he gave the name Meshach. To Azariah, he gave the name Abegnigo. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now, we don't know in what way that Daniel feels like he'd be defiling himself if he ate the royal food and wine. But he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, even in exile, even in a foreign land, even being forced to take on a foreign culture, a different way of life, absorbing the, the king's food and wine, absorbing the king's language and the literature and the culture of the Babylonians. Daniel said, I'm not going that direction. But God had caused, God is with them, and he caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord, my Lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. So why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king then would have my head because of you. He hears that Daniel wants to chart a different path, but that he's going to get in trouble because of his lack of compliance. Because if he doesn't eat the royal food and wine, he worries that Daniel will become sickly, will become faint, will become weak. Then Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now we don't get the... Uh, the chief officials uh, said, please test your servants for 10 days. Daniel asked for a, an exception, a variance. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food the food to excess probably, the food that is not a balanced diet. Too much royal food, too much royal wine doesn't bring about health. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And this royal official who God had given 
Daniel favor and compassion with agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard, guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead and undoubtedly water as well. And now on your screen, the final several verses from Daniel 1. To these four young men, God gave knowledge. God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. They were told to absorb Babylonian literature and language and learning. And God gave them the ability to absorb that. They're in exile. They're, if you will, in our context, possibly working for a, a boss who is not maybe going the same direction as you would want to go. But God can give you understanding. God can give you knowledge. When I was a young man, I got a job as a computer programmer which was somewhat of a surprise to me since I'd never worked with computers. Not as ubiquitous as they are today. Today they're in our hip pockets. Today they're uh, on our watches. We have smart homes even, but back then computers were much more a rare commodity and extremely expensive. I hadn't had opportunity to work with them, but I took an assessment that said uh, it appeared that I would be good in this field. I was given a, not that thick of a manual, probably about 100 pages, a manual filled with computer commands describing a new language, the computer language, that I was to learn to be able to do my job. I'm a good reader. I'm a good learner. I enjoy the process of learning, but I read that manual for two solid weeks. And because I had no frame of reference, for what it was referring to, the, the things that it was intended to operate upon this operating system and these particular computer commands, after two weeks, I had literally no more idea of what I was about to do than I had when I began this job. And I prayed. That two-week period of time, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I wasn't getting this new language but God in his grace, after that two weeks, they just had me just jump in and start programming based on kind of established programs that are already there, doing some modifications of things. And, and in the doing, I began the learning. I began the understanding. All glory goes to God because I felt pretty good about my ability to learn and to absorb information. But in that particular context, I was so far out of my depth. But I thank God that God helped me. And God can help you. Some of you are looking at trying to find new fields in which to operate, new arenas in which to ply your trade, new areas where you need new kinds of information or, or wisdom or insight, new things to read that sometimes don't come as naturally as what you've grown up with. God can give you knowledge. God can give you understanding. In addition to those things, God gave Daniel the ability to understand two other categories of truth. We read that Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Well, that's a whole different 
kind of wisdom and knowledge and insight. He can understand visions. He can understand dreams of all kind, which as you know, some of the story of Daniel will play into his story exactly. God gave Daniel exactly what he needed for the exile in which he found himself. And God will give you exactly the kind of knowledge and information and skill and wisdom that you need for the situation in which you find yourselves. So, three years passed, and at the end of the time set by the king to bring him into his service, the chief official presented him to the king, to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. None equal. And so they entered the king's service. And it goes beyond none equal. We, we read in verse 20 that in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Why do you think that was? Well, I think it goes back to verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and the ability for Daniel, in his case, to understand visions and dreams of all kinds. What do we draw from this? What do we understand from this? Because the whole book is about a situation where the people of God are not in their comfort zone. They're, they're not home yet. We learn, number one, that Daniel was a person of integrity. Integrity and influence. He was a person of integrity and influence. The passage we just read, verses 20, verses 17, verse 19, none equal. Later on, many years later, where he is by the time of Daniel 6, he is quite a bit later. He's an old man, possibly 80 years of age. We read that Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. It's interesting, it's very much like the story of Joseph, who is thrown into captivity ultimately into prison and ends up in Pharaoh's household and ends up being the wisest man in the entire region. The king puts him in charge of all his affairs. Daniel, because he walks with God, because God led him and he kept in step with God, had exceptional qualities so that, such that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. Why would anybody want to do that? Well, they were jealous. They were being overlooked. He's ten times better than them. And he's not even from their own country. He does not even a, a native speaker. He's an outsider. We might say in today's uh, uh, vocabulary, he's an immigrant. He didn't grow up there. And yet, he's a person of integrity and influence, of exceptional qualities, who had distinguished himself 
by his integrity and his influence. They tried to find grounds for charges, but they were unable to do so, and they could find no corruption in him. Why? Because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. The kind of worker that every one of us would love to be for the people in whose employment we find ourselves today. Person of great integrity and influence, despite the circumstances he started with, despite the challenging situation and context in which he lives, despite not being at home, Daniel was trustworthy, was not corrupt, was not negligent. Person of integrity and influence, number two, despite, despite the staggering challenges he faced. Daniel faced in the years ahead and the chapters ahead of chapter one that we've looked at some staggering change, uh, challenges. And we'll look at just two of them, just two verses or a couple of verses that kind of uh, outline for us what the situation was like for him. Daniel 2, we read that the king's, the wise men's inability to interpret the king's dream, his vision, made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, all of them. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Why? Because they're now part of the wise men. They're now part of that crew. In fact, they're the wisest of them all. So they're sent so they could be put to death. Yet God was with them. And God was with them. And God worked in astounding and amazing ways to give them favor, to help them survive, and to point the people in the context in which they lived to the true and the living God. Daniel understood the dream, and he said the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. Its interpretation is trustworthy. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, turns to Daniel and says, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. More happens in chapter 3 where they struggle. There's an image of gold people are commanded to worship. And there's a blazing furnace. You know that story. We know that in Daniel chapter 6, the royal administrators have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, they said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, will be thrown into the lion's den. Well, we know how that ended up, right? So they had their own, if, if you will, 30 days of prayer. They had a time when they said, uh, it's time to pray, it's time to worship, but you can only worship King Nebuchadnezzar. And they made an impressive statue, imposing statue, and said everybody needs to worship that. Otherwise you'd be thrown into the lion's den. We visited the, what used to be the Lion Country Safari outside of San Diego many, many years ago. And we're looking forward to seeing the lions, but it was kind of midday, and so they were resting, except that we have to be walking by the exhibit. In fact, we were up 
uh, over the exhibit when it was time for feeding time for the lions. And the roars that bellowed out just shook the ground. It was like, a, like an earthquake. It was terrifying. And, and we couldn't even see any lions, but we could hear the lions. Daniel and his friends were told, don't pray to any god other than the false god, the king. Now, we know in our culture nobody would pray to political leaders, right? Nobody would pray for a political leader of party A or nobody would pray for a political leader of party B. We wouldn't set all of our hopes and dreams and aspirations for the future, for the good of the nation, for the blessing of the world on a political leader. We wouldn't do it today. They didn't do it then. But sometimes we're tempted. And when we're as isolated as we are, cut off in many ways from normal human interaction, hugs and affirmations and ability to see one another face to face and eye to eye, it's easy for the culture around us to kind of get under our skin and into our hearts and into our minds. There's only one king. He's King Nebuchadnezzar, even though several chapters earlier he had said, your God is the one true God. So we read that Daniel was a person of integrity and influence. Number two, despite the staggering challenges that he faced. Number three, I believe it was because of the spiritual habits that he practiced. This is the key to not just surviving exile, but growing in exile, flourishing in exile. And in fact, a, an experience of exile, of displacement, of discomfort, of suffering even, can be the ideal environment in which we can thrive, which we can grow which we can become the people God wants us to be, God created us to be, God destined us to be. What were the spiritual habits he practiced? We're going to look at verses 10 and 11 of Daniel 6 and just read those together and draw six observations about these spiritual practices that are accessible to you right now and accessible to me in the situation that we're in. And they're habits that easily integrate with and flow into 40 days of prayer as we look for God to be at work in our community, for God to be at work in our hearts and lives and our minds, for God to be at work in our neighborhood and our neighborhoods, for God to be at work in our church family. Daniel 6 verses 10 and 11. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day we read that he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And then these men, the administrators, the satraps, the the king's officials, the kings who were unhappy about Daniel, who because of his integrity, his wisdom, his insight, his knowledge that God had given to him, 
wanted him caught up in this government edict that they had created to put to death, to throw into the lion's dead anybody who's not worshiping the king Nebuchadnezzar. They went as a group and they found David, excuse me, found Daniel, and they found him doing what? They found him praying and asking God for help. What are the spiritual habits that we see in this? I think there's six. First begins in the, the beginning of verse 10 when Daniel learned this decree. Anybody who prays to any God other than to this false God will be thrown to the lion's den. He went home to his upstairs room and he went to where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. How can we sing the praises of God in the foreign land? And by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept. We've looked at that. And the reality is that very psalm itself teaches us that right there by the rivers of Babylon we can sing the praises of God. And we need to sing the praises of God. Because actually, in reality, n none of us None of us are home yet. We await a home that God has prepared for us. The wonderful housing that Jesus went to prepare a place for us. And none of us are home yet. We are strangers, the Bible says. We are aliens. We are outsiders. And so the windows open toward Jerusalem. What's the, the habit? The habit is letter A that Daniel oriented his life totally towards God. He was in Babylon. He had no choice of that. But his life was totally oriented toward God. And so his window was open toward what for him in that era, in that time, was the presence of God, was the, the locus of God himself. It was Jerusalem. It was the city of the king. It was the place where the temple was. We started chapter 1 talking about the temple of God that was raided and Nebuchadnezzar carrying off some of the items to put into the temple of his God. Daniel's life was totally oriented toward God. Everything about him was about setting this trajectory in his life. Many years ago, the very popular book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. And uh, Dr. Covey said in that book that private victories precede public victories. Private victories precede public victories. In fact, in the boxing world, it's often said like this, the fight is won before you climb into the ring. If you wait until you're in the ring to prepare, you will never win the fight. We, we have to prepare well before the fight itself begins. Some of us are struggling going through the pandemic, going through the trauma we're experiencing because we did not pre prepare for the fight before we climbed into the ring. We were thrown into the ring. And we can't quite get out of that ring right now. The, one of the greatest boxers of our era, my era, was Muhammad Ali. Ali once said that the fight is won or lost far away from witnesses. The fight is won or lost far away from witnesses. Behind the lines, in the gym, out there on the road, long before I dance under those lights. And he said, I hated 
I hated every minute of training. I hated every minute of training, but I said, don't quit. Suffer now and live the rest of your life a champion. Is your life oriented toward God? The decisions that you make in your day-to-day life of preparation, or let's say you, you didn't prepare it and now you're in the ring, what do you do? Well, you begin to implement. There's no better time to implement life-giving habits than right now. Proverbs says that someone once asked an, an elderly man, when's the best time to plant a tree? He said, 20 years ago. They asked him, when's the second best time to plant a tree? He said, today. Why not today begin adopting the habits of a champion? Why not today begin orienting your life toward God? Think of how Daniel responds. He gets this horrifying news that something that's part of his everyday life, just praying to the Lord, will result in him being thrown into the lion's den. How would you respond? How do I respond to those kinds of challenges, those kinds of overwhelming pieces of information? Well, often it's one of a couple ways. Often it's fear. It might be anger, but that won't do us any good when we're not in a context where we have much power. It'll be fear, it'll be anxiety, it'll be worry. What's Daniel's response to this news? He went home, he went to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Many years ago, David Crowder Band had a song, Turn Your Gaze to heaven and hear the noise inside. Orient your life totally toward God. It goes on, it says, three times a day he got on his knees and prayed. What does that mean? Letter B means he cultivated consistent habits in his life. In our 40 days of prayer, we're encouraging you to pray once a day for our prayer challenges, our, our prayer goals. Tomorrow we're joined together to pray for one of our staff. Tomorrow happens to be Sherry Wilson. She assures me she would love prayer. (laughs) Pray for Sherry tomorrow. We've given you some ways to pray, some things to pray about for Sherry. And then the next day we'll pray for our college and young adults. Next day we'll pray for our wonderful school that God has given us an incredible legacy of impact. We pray that that legacy continues for decades and decades and decades to come. And we pray for all those who are involved to find new places of employment. We pray for our our students and families to find new place, new home for education. We pray for God's provision. We we pray. What's the principle? Three times a day, it's letter B, that Daniel cultivated consistent habits. Letter B, Daniel cultivated consistent habits in his life. What are the habits you've cultivated in your life? Oh, just got a tweet. Oh, just got an Instagram update. Oh, what are the habits that punctuate your day-to-day life? 
What's the first thing you do when you wake up? What's the last thing you do when you go to bed? What's your first response when you hear devastating news, traumatizing news, frightening news? David had, Daniel, I say David, David in the Psalms will say seven times a day, I turn to you, God, and I pray. Daniel, we study and we read three times a day, he gets down on his knees and prayed. He cultivated consistent habits in his life. If you were to look at your life and think, uh, what are the things that you do every day of your existence? It'll tell you whether or not you're going to flourish in a pandemic. It'll tell you where you're gonna, whether you're going to grow spiritually during a time of trauma. He oriented his life totally toward God. He cultivated consistent habits in his life. Then we read that three times a day. What is it that he did? He got down on his knees and he prayed. There's something about the physical engagement in prayer that does something to us. Throughout the pages of Scripture, you have people who are sitting and praying. You have people who are standing and praying. You see people looking up into the heavens, acknowledging that's where my help come from, as uh, Pastor Brandon reminded us from the, the psalm. Where does my help from, come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He made those mountains. Those mountains aren't going to save us. But the God who made the mountains is with us, is for us. We see people throwing themselves on their faces before God. We see that tax collector who's not even worthy to look up at the face of God in his prayer, but just with his head down on his chest, looking at the ground, that God be merciful to me, a sinner. Daniel got down on his knees and prayed. We read about Jesus getting down on his knees and praying. Why? It's, it's humbling to get down on your knees in somebody's presence. But it's a healthy reminder. It's an important thing for us to do. It's an important reminder to ourselves, a, a statement before God that God is God and there is no other. A phrase uttered over and over by God himself in Isaiah. He says, I am God and there is no other. And when we humble ourselves before God, when we get to our knees to pray, it does something for us. We don't want to do it. I don't want to do it right now, but I'm going to do it. It's harder for me to do that, and it's a lot harder to get up than it is to get down these days. But when we kneel before God, we're, we're so unimpressive. I, I don't think I'm impressive anyway, but when I kneel in God's presence... I'm saying, God, you're God, and I so clearly am not. I am so clearly inadequate. I am broken. I am sinful. I am poor and needy. All I can do is cry out, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's a mark of humility in our lives. And we don't need to do this in public, although we can. We can easily do this as he did, essentially in the privacy of his own home, although the windows were opened, as you remember, to the presence of God. And when we kneel, 
when we humble ourselves, God is close to us. The Bible tells us to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He will raise you up. I want God to raise me up. I want God to strengthen me. I want God to pour out on me his mercy. And so I think I'd like to humble myself so God will lift me up. And God will raise me up and he'll raise you up. Do you humble yourself before God? He got down on his knees and prayed three times a day. And then it says, giving thanks to his God. Giving thanks to his God. Here's the fourth area, letter D. He developed the attitude of gratitude. He developed the attitude of gratitude. Now this, by the way, this is before God had answered his prayer. This is not God, uh, Daniel just saying, uh, God, thank you that you answered my prayer, so I'm grateful. This is Daniel in anticipation, in confident hope, in expectancy saying, God, I, I, I believe that when you hear, you answer. And if you answer to deliver me from the lions, well, then I'll be delivered from the lions. And if you answer no to my prayer, well, then I'll be in your presence shortly. And that'll be just fine. Paul himself could pray, God, uh, you know, I want to be here to be around my friends and to enjoy some longevity. But otherwise, absent from the body, I'll be present with you. And Daniel thanks his God. For what? Because even though I'm in exile, I'm not at home. I am at home because you're with me. And when I pray toward Jerusalem, the, the place of your abode, I know that you're present here with me. And I thank you that even here in this place of exile, you've given me some favor. You've been at work in my life, and I thank you for that. I thank you that even though I'm told I can't pray to anybody but this false god, I still get to pray to the real, the true, and the living God, the ever-present God, the omnipresent God, the always-watching God, the always-listening God, the always-merciful, loving, and joyful God. There is so much that we have to be grateful for. Not just a biblical admonition to be grateful, but modern psychologists in the positive psychology movement have done research and shown that if every day you just practice one habit, if at the beginning or the close of every day you'd write down three things you're grateful for and the person to whom you're grateful because of those acts, those blessings in your life, if you do that every day over the course of 30 days, it'll begin to change the way you look at life. I, I grew up a, a rather negatively focused person, rather pessimistic but practicing gratitude has transformed my spirit, my person, my character. Because now instead of looking for things that go wrong, how hard is that to find in these days? I mean, if you're an Angels fan, the poor, guy, poor, poor guys just can't win. Although if you're the Dodgers fan, it works out okay, doesn't it? But man, there, there's always things to find that are frustrating. What are you grateful for? Before God even answers, and this answer is going to be a whopping answer, isn't it? <laughs> He's going to be in the middle of the lion's den, the roaring going on around him, but 
No lion will lay a, lay a hand on him. But he praises God and thanks God before it even comes. He developed the attitude of gratitude. It'll transform your life. And then we read this. He, three times a day, got down on his knees and praised, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. <laughs> what does that tell us? That tells us that Daniel was able, letter E, Daniel was able to draw on the habits of a lifetime. He's 80 in chapter 6 of Daniel, we believe. 80 years of, of age, and from a young man, he'd been a person of prayer. He'd been a, a person who turned to God when things went against him, when he got bad news, when he got devastating news, when he got traumatizing news. And now, just as he had done before, he thanks God. He prays to God. He does it through the course of his day. He'd done it over and over and he's able to draw on the habits of a lifetime. The battle isn't one in the ring. It's one on the road. It's one in the gym. What are the habits that are going to sustain you through the course of your life? Then we read that those leaders who were against Daniel, opposed to him, trying to bring him down, and indeed trying to get him executed, death by lion's den, went as a group, and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Letter F, what other spiritual habit did he practice? He quietly depended on God in the face of enormous pressure. He quietly depended, trusted God in the face of enormous pressure. Let's do that right now. I want to invite our worship team to come up and lead us in a closing song, and then Pastor Brandon's going to come and give us a closing encouragement and blessing. God, we want to be like Daniel. As we go through and continue in the crisis that we've been in now for close to five months, we, we want to develop life-giving spiritual habits that we build into our lives so that we can survive and not just survive, but flourish. We believe that you are for us, God. We believe that you are with us. We believe you can give us favor. We believe you can even help us survive the burning furnace, furnace and survive the den of lions. God, we just ask you to be with us. We believe as we read your word, our souls are fueled by your spirit with confidence. And we pray today, God, would you do it again? Would you deliver your sons and daughters, your, the boys and girls who look to you, who trust you, who walk with you, who cultivate spiritual habits, God, to open our hearts and lives to the presence of the true and the living God? We ask you, do it again. And we all pray this together. God, would you do this again in our hearts and lives? We pray in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. All God's people, sing together as your amen.